Let's, uh, would you stand? We're going to be in Genesis chapter 23, verses, there are 20 verses to the chapter. I'm going to read the first four verses, and I'm going to read the last two. The book ends to this story, the death of Sarah. So Genesis 23, verse 1. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron. Now Hebron becomes a very important place that we'll see even in this song. And then also the land of Canaan is also a very, it's the promised land. So that's what this is happening. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abram stood up before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Then verse 19. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre. Again, that is Hebron. Again, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is, that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. So Lord, we again, we need you, God. And we're thankful that you, Jesus, said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach us all things. He'll bring to remembrance whatsoever things we've command, you've commanded us. And how we need the, the, the illuminating of your word in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. So give us ears, I pray, to hear what the Spirit is saying to us this morning. Please, Lord, we are hungry to know you, to know your word, to grow in our faith. It comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Lord, we long to be those that are quicker to obedience and quicker to trusting you. And so, Lord, we know we need to grow in our faith. So I pray, Lord, the things I prepared, that you break them fresh for this right here, this time, this this service, and Lord, that you would be able to bless us, that we hear from you, that we leave here having known that the only true God, the almighty God, the creator, the, that you have spoken to us, please, Lord. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You can be seated. So as I was preparing um, this morning's study, it grabbed my attention because I believe, and it seems, it doesn't seem, I believe it, I'll tell you that, that dogmatically, that the Holy Spirit of God, through the Word of God, is speaking to us, is calling us to track down the same truths, the same exhortations that our, that our studies in Jude we just came out of. That the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to us to, that we need to be praying, we need to be asking God to give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And in this, which I'll tell you in a moment, I, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit of God wants to reverse the statistics, and I shared this in our study last week, here at Calvary Chapel South, here at this church, Little C. I think he wants to change it all over, but I'm talking about us in this room this morning as well as first service. That, so that 95% of us will have won a soul to Christ. Now, the statistics are 95 never have. That 85% of us will consistently witness for Christ. Statistic is 85% don't. And I add this one. That 100% of us would be actively engaged in evangelism lifestyle. That our lives are lived to be witnesses to Jesus Christ intentionally and purposely and fruitfully. So here it is. The great commission is not the great suggestion. You say amen? The great commission is not the great suggestion. So in contending for the faith, and here's the question I felt the Lord asked me. I shared it last week for us. Will you trust God? To take you where you have never been. Will you trust God to take you where you've never been? Maybe you're the 95%, the 85%. Is your life being lived as a witness of Jesus Christ in active lifestyle evangelism? The second is this. The Great Commission is not impossible. It's inevitable. 
This is what God's doing through his church. That's you and I who are believers in Christ. So how's that going to happen? Last week is part of it. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And everyone said, in other words, if we have our eyes fixed on God, the natural outflow of that is our lives begin to shine for him in a dark, sinful, fallen, broken, hurting world. So the death of Sarah brings to mind, in beginning this, this look at the life of Isaac, it brings to mind we all will die. Now, that's not morbid. That's just the truth. So as we get, continue through the book of Genesis, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, there were four events in chapters 1 through 11. Creation, fall, flood, and nations. As we get into chapter 12, which we've done, we have four people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. I can't wait to get to Joseph. He's a picture of Christ all over the place. So at our focus dinner, someone had a reminder, a suggestion, that each week I mention where we're going next week. So you can read and come prepared. We're going to be looking at family. As you look at the life of Isaac, it's family. Death of a loved one, a wife, a mother. Marriage, family, problems in marriage. And we're going to look at these things as we go through this study. But for next week, it's going to be a little different. Because Shard and I are going to be going to Texas to see our grandkids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I won't be here, but I've been praying and asking the Lord. And just this morning, he solidified it. Lowell Burrier, who is uh, a, a pastor for a long time, he, he pastored in Auburn, Calvary Chapel. He's been with Calvary Chapels a long time. So this morning I saw him because he was on my mind. And I said to him, Lowell, what do you think? Would you be available next Sunday? And I've asked a couple other guys that wasn't working. Would you be avail available next Sunday? Because I'm going to be gone and I'm, we're going to be in Genesis 24. And what he told me is this. And I, I just said, thank you, Lord. He said, what's been on this heart is we need to get out of the out off the hill and down into the valley. And what he's talking about is the, is the story of David and Goliath. And what's on his heart is we need to get out of the hill into the valley. And so he's going to bring a message next week. How many of you like the story of David and Goliath? It was one of our favorites with our kids because we had this little kid's Bible. And, what it, and I still remember, it's like we said it all the time. Goliath was over nine feet tall. I mean, this guy was a giant, literally. And he comes armored into that valley, and the sun's all the, you know, just almost shimmering in the sun with all of his armor. And David, this little ruddy guy, how did he take him down? A sling and a stone. Now Saul said, here, you got to have my armor. And he tried that. Listen, God has equipped all of us with the rock of our salvation, the cornerstone. And that just needs to be let loose, if you will. And it brings down the giants. Now, you might look at evangelism. You might look at the things that God's called us in the Great Commission and say, now, that's a giant. Hey, Jesus, sling, just sling out Jesus, if you will. He wants us to experience victory in the valley. In the valley. Joshua went into the valley to fight the Amalekites. Moses up on the hill. Praying. You see, whatever's going to go on in the valley, it's determined what's going on up, up, in this case, in prayer. And as he prayed and lifted his hands with Aaron, her and Aaron helping him, as he's praying, there's victory in the, in the... So there's a lot of things. I better be careful because I'm going to be spending 50 minutes talking about this. <laughs> I want to exhort you. God has not given us a great suggestion. Jesus left us with a great commission. And that commission is seeing souls snatched from the fires of hell, translated from the kingdom of darkness, snatched from sin and death and all those things, and brought into the glorious kingdom of God, the salvation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, by grace through faith and faith alone, although faith is not alone because faith ushers itself into a whole new life. 
But let me tell you, as we know, who are saved in this room, we are saved not by works of righteousness. We've been saved by, because we believe the promises of God. It is so foundational and so fortifying and such a force to be reckoned with that the God, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's not our job. Our job is to be ambassadors. And what's an ambassador? An ambassador is just someone representing or representing a foreign country in a foreign land. So you put the embassy there. What's the embassy? That's a little bit of the United States in Jerusalem. That's a little bit of the United States and other countries. We, as believers, are ambassadors for Christ. We've been placed on this, in this world to represent, represent Jesus Christ to the world. Why? So we can notch our belt? No, because Jesus is the only way to salvation. He's our message. So as I look at, 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 at where we're going here, the outline, if you will, for our story this morning in Genesis, Sarah Sarah died. First two verses. Then Abraham purchased a burial place for his dead. Doesn't say for Sarah. And we'll look at that also. For his dead. And then finally, Abraham buried Sarah. So as we pick it up in verse 1, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arbor, that is Hebron. In the land of Canaan, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Now, what we know in the scriptures is that Sarah was outwardly a beautiful woman. In fact, one commentator says she was a Mesopotamian knockout. And she was quite old when that, when that was written. So, Peter then also chooses Sarah as the example of a godly, inwardly beautiful wife. In 1 Peter chapter 3. And so he says to his audience, the pilgrims who were scattered, Peter, in 1 Peter he says, do not let your adornment be merely outward. There's nothing wrong with taking care of your body. But don't let it be just that. Don't be all external. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart. With the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. That was Sarah. That's what she was like. So Sarah's beauty was the hidden person of her heart. Where purity and reverence were priorities. That's what she focused on. Where gentleness and holiness were practiced. And where peace, the peace of prayer, was precious. That's what Peter's saying. That's what Sarah was like. She was a godly woman. She was a beloved wife and mom. And may I say to you, I'm sure she was missed exceedingly. In Genesis 24, we'll get this at the end of that chapter. Isaac brought Rebekah her, Rebecca, into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebecca and she became his wife. And he loved her, Rebecca. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So he had a period of time before this whole thing's happening, chapter 24, where Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for Isaac. And during that time, he is missing his mom exceedingly, and rightfully so. But then Rebekah comes with the servant. He, she dismounts the camel, and they go in and, and seal the wedding vows. And you know what's happening? A whole new family. That's what's birthed now. But Isaac loved his mom, no doubt. So Sarah was a woman of tested and proven faith. Abraham was a man of tested and proven faith, as we saw as we were looking at him, his life. Now, interesting, Isaiah puts it this way. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look, look to Abraham, your father, Look to Sarah, your wife, who, your, who bore you. 
For I have called him alone and blessed and increased him. Now, let's look, remember where a key verse, key set of verses in Genesis is chapter 12. This is Abraham's call. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your what? Family. Again, that ties in in, in in a moment. And from your what? Father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. So not only a new family beginning, but a nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And in you all, here it is again, the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's his calling. That's God's blessing on his life. Now, there's more detail that comes. Genesis 15, 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you what? This land to inherit it. What? Canaan. Hebron. The promised land. So God's promising Abraham this land that he doesn't own even one inch parcel of. Again, a little more detail. Genesis 22. Now, this is after Abraham was willing to offer Isaac. God said, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God's promising through Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant, which was reiterated to Isaac and Jacob, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant that Jeremiah talks about, they were unconditional, unilateral promises of God in his plan to bring forth a Savior through a nation, Israel, to bless all the nations through Israel, through a king, by establishing his kingdom on earth that will never end. And I say, amen. That's what God promised. His promise to Abraham was absolutely incredible. He adds more detail. The Davidic covenant, the new covenant, ultimately fulfilled when Jesus came and on a cross died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day, is ascended into the heavens, and is now at the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for us. And he's waiting. The king of kings is going to return to set up a kingdom. Can I hear an amen? That's the promise to Abraham. That's God's plan. Always has been. So Sarah and Abraham, listen. Sarah and Abraham were married for a hundred years. Now, 25-year anniversary, what is it? Silver. 50-year anniversary, it's gold. So they got quadruple silver, double gold. Now, I looked up the World Guinness Book record for a marriage. It's 87 years. They beat him. That's, actually, that's not even the record because Adam died at 970 years. I mean, they had a long, they had like a zillion quadruples. Yeah. Now, Sarah... Beloved wife, beloved mom would be missed exceedingly. And this amazing couple, husband and wife, father and mother, not only were married 100 years, they had been sojourning in foreign land for 62 years. Now, how many of you like to travel? How would you like to be living out of your suitcase for 62 years? Uh, no, I think I'd like to have a house. <laughs> Sarah was 90 years old when she gave birth to Isaac. 127 years. So that meant Isaac had 37 years of seeing firsthand the faith of a godly mother. Seeing that coupled with a godly marriage and a godly father. Seeing their obedience to God. Not perfect, but it was the real deal. And again, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, Grandmothers, grandfathers, great-grandmothers, great-grandfathers. May I say to you, we need to be the real deal in our faith before God. Not faking it, not pretending, the real deal. And that takes some introspection. It takes some difficult deciding. It takes repentance. It takes a lot of things. But my brother and sister in the Lord, to myself also, our children's future depends on it. What kind, because we are, it's, it's family. It's family. Their faith was so real 
and so profound that Isaac, 30 plus years old, maybe 30, was willing to put his life into the hands of his father to kill him. That's how much he trusted his father. And I picture his mother, Sarah, is at home praying. Praying. And oh, I say to God, prayer. May my real deal with you, may my relationship with God, may the witness of my life impact my children so that they will trust God. That there's a praying mom who's praying as Abraham takes their son and she no doubt knowing what's going on. And she's home, she's praying, she's praying. And I think the prayers of moms are so key to bringing the kid back alive. Bringing them back from the greatest trials and testings are the prayers of you moms, you grandmas, you great-grandmas. Faith so profound, so real. But here's the deal. All of these years, and then one day was the last day. You know, it just forces upon us the reality of our mortality. One day for each of us is the last day. It's with Sarah at 127 years when she died. It seemed like such a little time that just vanished like a vapor. It's done. Abraham lived another 38 years widowed from Sarah. And then one day was the last day. And 175 years seem like a vapor that's here and gone. One day Sarah died. One day Abraham breathed his last. And one day was the last day and their earthly life was over. One day it's inevitable for you and for me is going to be the last day. I'm going to die. You're going to die. Hebrews 9.27 says, Appointed unto men once to die, and then the judgment. We don't get a second shot at it through reincarnation. <laughs> when a loved one dies, it forces us to reflect on our own mortality. That's why funerals are good. Memorials are good. They're important. Death forces us to reflect on the issues of our faith. What do I believe and on what grounds do I believe that? One day, death will for as we see death, it forces us to reflect on what really matters. Ecclesiastes puts it, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to mourn or to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. That's life. That's life. He says in chapter 7, because it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. And the living will take it to heart. That's, that's it. That's a funeral. That's a memorial. That's the one day. That's the last day. And we realize this person that I loved, this person is gone and it's permanent. Earthly speaking. See, my reflection on this over the last few years, when it's all said and done, what we have is family. That's it. Family. It's so central to God's design and creation. So, as we speak about the death of Sarah, listen, all the mourning of all your loved ones cannot raise you from the dead. All the mourning of all the world cannot raise one soul from death. We just experience that as a world. 
Kobe Bryant, 13-year-old daughter, suddenly killed. And this reverberating shock went through the world. 41 years old, successful to the nth degree, wealthy, a 13-year-old beautiful daughter as well as a couple other, his wife, and in one moment, he's gone, dead. People are weeping and putting mind, but none of that can raise him from the dead. His death, he's gone, it's permanent. So, Sarah died, Abraham purchased a burial place for his dead. Then Abram stood up, verse 3, from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold you his burial place that you may bury your dead. Then Abraham stood up and bowed excuse me, bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. So he says, give me property. Abraham did not own even so much as a square inch parcel of property. So he give me a place. I just want a cave where I can bury my dead. So this property was in Hebron, the land of Canaan, which is the promised land. It was among the people of the land. At this time, that land was of the Hittites, the sons of Heth. It was for a burial place out of his sight. Now, verse 8. And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of your, my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar. So it was also the property of Ephron the Hittite, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah. Again, it seems the bargain he went from a cave. If you're going to get the cave, you've got to get the field too. Which he has, which is at the end of the field. Abraham bargaining for the cave. The bargaining takes on the field. Let him give it to me, verse 9, at full price, as property for a burial place among you. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you, bury your dead. Now, this is bargaining. <laughs> I'm going to give it to you. Yeah, just take it. It's cool. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people, saying, I will give it, if you will give it, please hear me, I will give you money. I don't want it for nothing. I want to pay for it. I'll give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying, my Lord, listen to me. The land is worth, you know, <laughs> he's kind of letting him know what he always wanted to begin with. Oh, the land, it's 400 shekels of silver. What's that between you and me? I mean, you know, no problem. But what he's doing, actually, in the bargain, he's letting him know how much he wants. Now, 400 shekels of silver, many commentators said it was extortion. It was highway robbery for this little burial, this cave. And so Abram listened to Ephron. Abram weighed out the silver for the Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, the currency of the merchant. So he buys it for full price. Uh, Abram was very wealthy. There's nothing wrong with wealth. Look at this in, again, chapter 24, the bride for Christ. So the message of the servant is this. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. He has given him, he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels. He was extremely wealthy. Now, money wasn't an issue. So even though it was exorbitant, you see, for him, for, for Abraham, the transaction far exceeded any value that money could put on it. This plot, this cave, this field was more important to him than all the money that might take to get it. So it didn't phase him at all. Now, some will say, well, of course it didn't. He's a millionaire. It's like we say about, you know, these guys that give, you know, $500,000, but they have, they, they're, they're billionaires. Well, that's like, for me, a penny, you know. So anyway, you get what I'm saying. But here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with wealth. The important thing is not to go wrong when you get it. That's the important thing. So a couple of scriptures for you. Honor the Lord with, the with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. God gets the first. And I believe scripturally, clearly, it's a tenth. It's a tithe. 
that whatever I have all came from God and God's saying, a tenth is mine and you can do with what you want with a 90% in a sense. So he's saying, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Proverbs, or excuse me, Jesus said it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his right, and all these other things will be added to you. The first priority has to be in our hearts. We're seeking the kingdom of God. First Timothy puts it this way, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Where nothing in this world is certainly can carry nothing out. And, is, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Now he doesn't even say homes. Food and clothing, with, we should, with these we should be content. Now, this is what he says. But those, here's the problem, who desire to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For, here's the problem, for the love of money, that's the problem. The desire to be rich can start taking you down a trail the wrong way. The love of money is root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, so the antidote is not just fleeing, it's pursuing. But you pursue, you all men of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness and faith and love and patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. In other words, wealthy people have a battle on their hands. When there's wealth that's coming, we got to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold not on more riches unless God brings it, but on eternal life. The things that really matter, lay hold on eternal life, to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession before many witnesses. You can have all the money in the world and have a terrible witness. You can have no money and be the witness. So here, pursue these things. Righteousness, faith, love, peace. Another thing he says, Pursue these things with those. We need help. We need to, part, we need to be in, in the presence of believers. So Abraham purchased his peril. Look at verse 17. And so the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave, which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were written, which were within all the surrounding borders, notice, were deeded to Abraham. As a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went into the gate of the city. And after this, Abram buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre. Again, that is Hebron. In the land of Canaan, again, the promised land. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. So this property was deeded to Abraham. Now, the rules for a business transaction we see in this chapter. Let me give you three very quickly. First of all, treat people with courtesy and respect. You make a transaction, be courteous and be respectful. Secondly, make it an equitable bargain. And he went over the top, Abraham, for this. He was very fair in his dealings. Generous, if you will. Willing. Then the final thing is to secure it in the presence of witnesses. That's very important in bargaining, in business transactions. Now, here's the key on this, in this chapter. By Abraham pursuing and then closing the deal, the transaction to purchase his property, for nothing but a burial place for his dead, that's all he was purchasing, Abraham, by faith, was calling this land his homeland. That's what they did. By faith, he's renouncing his former land of Mesopotamia. Now, it's interesting, when we go into chapter 23 from 22, there's these verses at the end of it that are kind of weird. It's a little blurb on his son, uh, his brother Nahor. What's going on in Mesopotamia? Abraham's leaving all that behind because of the promise of God that this was going to be his land. That's what's going on. So here's, here's what I look at as far as death goes. Abraham has very wealthy. He makes this transaction. He pays the deal. But it was, the, the money wasn't anything to him. It was what he was doing in saying, this is the promised land. This is what God promised me. And, I'm, and, and, and it's where he's going to bury his dead. And it's just this. All the money in the world 
cannot raise you from the dead. All the silver and gold, all the world's riches cannot raise one soul from death. Now, there is one thing that money can do is concerning death. It can purchase a burial place where they're going to put your body. Now, a lot of people prearrange it. So they buy the thing. But I think this is biblical support for the exorbitant money that they charge you to go buy a casket. I don't know. But here's the deal. Have you prearranged where you're going to arrive when you die? Have you made your reservation in heaven? Are you written on the ledger of coming guests? We got to make that prearrangement now. It's too late when we're laid in a tomb, laid underground, six feet under. So Abraham buried Sarah. So Abraham buried Sarah, verse 19. And here's what I look at here. Not only all the, all the mourning will not, cannot raise you from the dead, all the money cannot raise you from the dead, but all the Machpelahs can't raise you from the dead. Now, what's, what's Machpelah? You know, it's interesting. The word Machpelah means double. So when we look at a gravestone, when we look at a plot, when we look at a tomb, when we look at a marker, when we look at a mausoleum, when we look at an urn, when we look at a crypt, when we look at a gravestone or a headstone, it should remind us again that all of those buried out of our sight, when they... After death, they are going to be raised, and there's two resurrections. And that's the real deal. And what happens in this life matters with what's going to happen in the resurrection. So Daniel put it this way. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now those are sobering words. Jesus said, Matthew 25, these will go away to everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus said, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and to those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Paul put it this way, I have hope in God which they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. So the gravestone, the Macpellas, speak to us. I don't know what happened to them, but that's not what I want to have. I, I want to be sure I've registered now. I want to be sure that I'm ready to walk through that door of death into the arms of my Savior. So who will be raised to the resurrection of life? It's very simple. All those who died in faith in the promises of God. That's our only hope. That's why we understand in this life it's so important. All the mourning can't raise me from that. All the money. I need to remember that when my grave marker's made, I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded he can keep me until that day. Why? Simply, I believe the promise of God. I believe what Jesus has promised to me as believing in him. And so let's look about Abraham in, in these closing verses. Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as inheritance. He would receive it. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I love that. That's like, that should be a life verse for all of us. He went out not knowing where he was going. Now, how many times do you go out not knowing where you're going? We have good company. Abraham, he didn't know where he was going. By, by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in that foreign country. He said to him, I'm a foreigner in, in, in your presence to these guys. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, passed on. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's why when we think of the promises of God to us, it's through Jesus Christ and him alone we believe the promises of God for us about our sin, about our salvation, and about our future re resurrection in Christ. Hebrews 11 goes on. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child and she was past the age. Why? She judged him faithful and promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, 
were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude. And this, these two pictures are used by God all the time as far as the promise to Abraham. The stars, can you count them? Well, they used to think they could count them. Now they realize, no, you can't. The sand of the sea, I don't know if anyone ever thought they could count the sands of the sea, but God say it's going to be so huge, so many, you can't count them. Why? Because they believe the promise of God. And truly, if they had had in mind, oh, excuse me, and they died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims. on the, This is not our home. This is not our final resting place, our final destination. And they knew that. For those who say such things, they seek a homeland. And truly, if they'd called to mind that country from which they'd come out, they would have had opportunity to return. If they say, hey, no, that's where. No, 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 that's not where. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them to be called their God. They just believe God. God's saying, right on, for he has prepared a city for them. So by faith, Abraham believed God's promise that his descendants would inherit the land. By faith, Abraham sojourned in the land for almost a century, living as one to whom it would belong. By faith, Abraham purchased the cave at Machpelah in Hebron, By faith, he buried Sarah in the cave in Hebron, the promised land. By faith, Isaac buried Abraham, his father, in the cave in Hebron. (laughs) I love this because he said to bury his dead wife because it wasn't just Sarah and it wasn't just Abraham. It would be Isaac and Jacob because they believed the promise. This is what God's promised us. So we have a little plot right now that's ours and we're just waiting for a heavenly country. While in Egypt, Jacob charged his sons to bury him in Hebron. By faith, Jacob's sons had him embalmed and took his remains to Hebron for burial. So Abraham and Sarah are first among a multitude of generations who would also die not having received the promise, but having been assured of and embraced them. They said, we're just strangers and pilgrims, but there's coming. Hebrews 11 says, all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. In other words, there's more to it. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things. The promised seed, the son son to Abraham, Isaac, leading to Jesus. The promised land to Abraham as an inheritance for his descendants, Israel. The promised king over Israel, Solomon, the king, leading to Jesus. And finally, the promised kingdom, where Jesus, the king of the Jews, will be the king of kings as he sets up his kingdom. So the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the the new covenant, unconditional and unilateral promise of God in his plan to bring forth a savior. Through a nation, Israel, to bless all the nations through a king establishing his kingdom on earth that shall never end. That's what's going on here with Abraham. So Sarah dies. Abraham purchased the burial place. Buries Sarah. When Abraham died, Abraham, when Sarah died, Abraham believed the promises. And so he purchased it and buried Sarah because he believed the promises of God. All the mourning in the world cannot raise one soul from the dead. All the money in the world cannot raise one soul from the dead. All the McPellas should remind us again that there's a resurrection coming and judgment following. So as I think of these things, I believe what the Holy Spirit is again reminding me and us. People are dying and going to hell. But Jesus came to save us from that, from that judgment. And so in John chapter 6, Jesus said, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, spiritually speaking, has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's the promise. He keeps saying, I'm going to raise you up at the last day. Why? Because we believe the promise. Therefore, I said to you that if that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's the stark contrast. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives in me, whoever dies, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then the question to Martha was, do you believe this? Do you believe it? As I look at this room, I know many of you believe that. But the question is, as Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, listen. You think of discipleship often as once someone's saved. No, discipleship is first getting saved. That's the beginning of the call to respond to the gospel. So make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, salvation, in the name of the Lord, not, okay, i got to make sure I get this clear. I'm not saying baptism saves you. Baptism is a picture that should be happening out of the commandment of Jesus to be baptized, to give witness to what's already happened inside. Old life buried. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. So the Great Commission is not A great suggestion. We are asking God to turn and reverse the statistics that 95% of us will have won a soul to Christ. 85% of us are consistently witnessing for Christ. That 100% of us are engaged in active lifestyle evangelism. 1.8 people die every second. 6,500 every hour. That means in the 40, well, the 80 minutes of our, of our service up to this point, almost 9,000 people have died. Now, I'm not trying to sensationalize this. It's the fact. And so the Great Commission is not impossible. It's inevitable. But we have been called as ambassadors for Christ. And I'll be honest with you. I'm praying, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. That I'm living a lifestyle of ambassadorship and evangelism. That my heart is burdened for lost people as I see these people in the world. And Jesus looked out with compassion. I said, Lord, I need compassion. I need that burden. I need you to move. And brothers and sisters, I'm not suggesting we're going to manufacture that. We can't. But God wants to give to us that kind of an understanding of you, a burden in our hearts, that people are dying in the world all the time, continuously. And we have a message. We have the gospel that when preached, saves people from sin, death, and hell. And so in my mind, in my heart, we just need to pray. And then seek to be obedient. Are you willing Will you trust God to take you who have never been concerning the gospel? These two verses we'll close with. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to him. That's God's job. Not imputing their trespass to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. The ministry is what God's done. The word is what we are to be doing. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. Be reconciled to God. It's this plea from the heart of God. Be reconciled to God. Come to God. Let, let God make it right for you. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through him. That's what he did for us. So as I was thinking this, this through this, uh, just this morning, I thought, you know, I want to bring the cross out. I want to stand it up right here. If I can have the guys who are going to do that. Just put it here as we close in song. Because this cross is what God did for us. 
And because of what he accomplished for us, he's just, he's commissioned us, commanded us through the power of the Holy Spirit and all that he gives to us to just be those, I better get out of the way here, be those who are actively living to tell people about Jesus. And so I want to just close in song that, that we can, you can and we can, individually first and then as a corporately, say to God, I want a heart that's broken for the things that break your heart. I want to see people's lives, not as they're impacting me, but as their sin has ruined their lives. Sin has put them in this judgment place. And I want to see them as God sees them and have a burden for them. And we can't work that up. We can't. We've tried. We've tried. Rah-rahs don't do it. Revelation does. And I'm asking God to meet us in this area. And I, again, I believe that he's speaking to us, not just today, but for four studies past this. And I don't know what's going to happen in the future as far as the studies in the word of God. But it's not just us. I went to a gathering on Friday night. It was a, it was a unity at Grace Chapel in, in Auburn. Probably three or 400 people there. And the whole point is we got to come together because the gospel needs to go out. So the church needs to stop being divided and realize we got one great commission that we're to be accomplishing together. And there's some that are good here and there's others that are good at these things. But all together, the culmination of why we're here is because there's a coming king who's going to establish a coming kingdom. We have the answer to entrance. We have the sign-up sheet for, for being registered through the gospel. I could go on, but I don't want to. Would you stand? as we sing this last song, and, and this cross just here before us, and in your heart right now, just quietly, where are you at with the gospel? Where are you at as a witness? Let's sing this song, and then we'll close. I'll, I'll lead us a little bit in, in something in closing.